Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO. It's a loose discussion of travel, adventure, diving, driving gear, and most certainly watches. This is episode 265, and it's proudly brought to you by the always-growing TGN supporter crew. We thank you all so much for your continued support, and if you're listening and would like to support the show, please visit thegreynato.com for more details. My name is James Stacy, and I'm joined, as ever, by my friend and co-host Jason Heaton. Hey, Jason. How's it going? I'm doing okay. I'm dragging a little bit today, but uh, you know what? This is, uh, I guess, it's <laughs> might as well announce it at the top here. This is going to be our last show of 2023. So we're, we're taking a break here between uh, now and, and the end of the year, other than, than I guess, a remaining Q&A episode that you're going to produce here shortly and we're going to record. Uh, but other than that, it's, uh, it's a bit of a break for us, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So for those of you who have your calendar open, this episode goes live on December 14th. We're taking the 21st and the 28th off, and we'll come back on uh, January 4th. Uh, As Jason alluded to, there will also be a final of our three Q&As to catch up, so quote-unquote November's (laughs) (laughs) Q&A will come out uh, about the 18th of December, so keep keep an eye on that. I I put out October's uh, yesterday on the 11th. Um, so we'll have that and then we'll come back on the 4th and then the second week of January we'll have December's Q&A. We actually have been getting questions in more reliably again. Maybe the cadence of Q&As <laughs> equals getting questions in. Duh, yeah. James. Um, but that's great. The questions are really fun. Actually, the, the the one that went up yesterday, we had such a good time recording it that I was like smiling and giggling throughout the the edit, <laughs> which is not a normal necessarily a normal thing for me unless we have like a really great guest on. Yeah. I had a really good time with that. So if you haven't, like if you're on the supporter side, and but maybe you haven't been keeping up with the Q&As, maybe go back and check out these three that we've done kind of back to back. So it's September, October, November to again to catch up. They've been good. And we've, we've had a really good time. We had some really fun hypothetical questions about cars and time travel and that kind of stuff come in. So it's, it's always fun to kind of not necessarily always talk about the same thing that we always talk about. Uh, granted, I'm saying that at the top of an episode where we're going to talk about what we always talk about, which is our favorite watches of 2023. Should be uh, should be another fun episode, one we always look forward to, and a nice way to kind of round out the year, I figure. Yeah, and you know, going back to the, the this most recent Q and A, we've had some spirited discussions on Slack around a couple of the subjects around you know the the, the fun and dumb car question mm-hmm. and the and the musical talent one. So uh, it, it's fun to dip in there and, and see what people's responses are to, to that Q and A. That one really seemed to resonate. And and you know, just to briefly, as we're taking these next couple of weeks off, I'll just remind you that Slack never closes. <laughs> it is a twenty four seven environment. So if you're if you're missing TGN chatter uh, over the next couple of weeks while we take some time off, and if you're a part of that Slack group dip in and, and contribute and, and read up. It's a, it's a fun and lively group. So other than, other than all this kind of housekeeping stuff, uh, what have you been up to? I saw you built a kind of a cool end table, which I'm, I'm kind of jealous of your skills there. That looks amazing. Oh, it looks better in the photo to be fair. I shared the photo on the Slack. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I have somebody who I'm, I can't say, rem- figure out how much I should say, cause they might be listening. I'm making a gift for somebody. Oh. That's as much as I'm willing to say on this episode. Okay. I have two two brothers who are very talented carpenters, mm-hmm. and it's it's a skill set that I do really enjoy. And it's also something where, like, if I'm doing that, I almost can't do anything else, which usually I really like as well. Yeah, I, I came across a one board table on Instagram, and I can put the the Instagram story in in the show notes if you want to check it out. But you literally buy one eight foot board, and honestly, that's probably like a foot too long. You probably need about seven feet of, of hmm. board to do this. Wow. Yeah. Um. But the idea is that it's a it's a 
uh, t- essentially a little like end table sort of thing that only requires one board in mostly simple cuts. Mm-hmm. And so I made the pro the first prototype, hopefully the only prototype. We'll see. I'm not. I'm learning just how bad I am at a certain few things. <laughs> made the first prototype and and it came together pretty nicely. And and I photographed it in the right light, so it looked <laughs> it <laughs> looked important. pretty good. But yeah. it was gen- it, you know there's a couple of bad cuts and and I don't. I, I should have the pieces arrive from Amazon today, but I had an issue where it's a I have an eight inch miter saw, chop saw. Oh yeah. But the board is ten inches, so I can't do a forty five I can't do the forty five cuts using that saw. Ah, okay. So I've been using my um circular saw, like a DeWalt plug in circular saw. Yeah. And um and the problem with that is is to cut a forty five on those saws, you're leaning way over the guard mm. or the, the cutting plate. Right. And it fouls against the clamps that I use to establish the cutting line. Yeah. So I had to cut the the forty fives by hand, and of course they don't come out perfect. <laughs> One of them came out pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> but not perfect. Yeah. I, I have really enjoyed the process, and I went and got um, the ability to do like pocket holes for the screws. So um, the the version that's on Instagram has just like drilled out holes and then they countersink the screws and fill them with wood glue sand them down stain them to hide them yeah um the the way that i was able to with some trial and error there's several more holes than there are screws i was able to hide almost all the screws in pockets wow uh, which is kind of feels kind of cool and and looks neat and i I just absolutely did that all sunday afternoon it was great really really enjoyed the process yeah Um, that sort of activity is so fun that it's just totally absorbing isn't it yeah yeah, it's like working on the car. Yeah. Like you just you're constantly just kind of doing little problem solving, especially when you're not not even remotely a professional. <laughs> right, right. And so I did the first this first one out of like knotty pine for twelve bucks or something, and I'll probably do the final. Uh, I think out of oak. I haven't quite decided huh. yet. Very cool. I mean, that's good cheap fun. Other than unless you have to actually buy a bunch of expensive tools, like it's yeah, it's uh, it's fun to play with wood. Wood isn't still isn't that expensive depending on what you buy and and. You know, if it, it, it helps you build your skills and it passes the time. I mean, you'll look up and like four hours will go by and you'll be like, what have I been doing? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, there's technically there's a pretty tight limit on how much I'm supposed to spend on this gift. But the wood is less <laughs> than that. The several hundred dollars in tools and other things I bought aren't. But I can pay those forward <laughs> sure. on, on other projects conceivably. Yeah, so, yeah. And other than that, I've just kind of been working and, and doing kind of Christmassy stuff with the fam. Uh, what, what have you been up to for the last week? Yeah, I mean, it's been a pretty kind of consistent, quiet week. I mean, as I've been doing for about the past month, I've been, you know, packing and shipping uh, uh, copies of Sweetwater and signing a lot of books and and uh, the response continues to be great. So thanks to everybody that's uh, supported that and ordered books. Um, today, you know, right after we record uh, this afternoon, I have a fairly lengthy dentist appointment that I've been putting off and kind of dreading. I've, I'm, I'm guilty of neglecting my I shouldn't say dental hygiene. I've always been a, a brusher and flosser, but uh, in yeah. terms of going to the dentist, it's not something I enjoy. So I've put it off for several years and I went about a month or so ago and then they said, oh, you've, you've got some issues here. You need to come back. So I'm I'm off there this afternoon, which I'm not looking forward to. But uh, other than that, it's I recently joined a new gym actually in town. I'm not a big fan of, of oh, really? going to the gym, but this is looking like a winter where we're not going to get a lot of cross-country skiable snow, which is kind of my go-to exercise in the winter. And I really enjoy swimming laps. And so uh, I found a new facility here in town with it, with a nice pool and, and it's a really nice place. And, um, so Gashani and I both joined as kind of a family unit and it's, it's pretty affordable. And so we've been, we've been going there regularly and, and, and swimming and between that and using the rowing machine and running once a week, I think I've got a pretty good kind of winter routine lined up, which I'm pretty pleased about. 
Nice. But uh, yeah, other than that, it's just just keeping on, keeping on here. Sarah and I started going for a couple short runs. I think we did two or three. Yeah. And had best intentions, and then it got like properly cold for a couple days, and we slowed right down. So <laughs> I think uh, I think that's probably my sign that I'm moving. I need to take that energy that I wouldn't mind going for a run here, there, and just yeah, getting on the rowing machine. Yeah. But a gym's a, a gym, a gym with a pool is a great idea. Yeah, because I'm not a big sure. weightlifter. I don't care to to do that stuff with machines or free weights. I've just I've never been that way. But um, a pool uh, weights keep you young. Yeah, I know, I know. I should I should embrace that. But but for now, uh, you know, kind of I do the push ups, planks, rowing machine, and then and then the swimming. I I just love swimming laps. It's I feel like I would need to enjoy swimming. I would need to learn how to swim. <laughs> Like I can right. swim and like, I'm actually a, a fair, like a, a powerful yeah. swimmer, but my technique is terrible. Oh, sure. Just like, like world-class. Oh pole. yeah. Yeah. I have to be in the ni- the 99th percentile for, for, swim- <laughs> for like technique when swimming, I just get in the water and kind of, kind of cart around. If I don't have fins on, it's pretty oh, yeah. hopeless Yeah, as far as a speed or, or efficiency right. goes, but it's a, it's a real skill set like yeah. running. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You start and you slowly refine over time and, and that sort of thing. But I guess the, the plus with swimming is it's unlikely that you're going to hurt yourself or your body in any way. Yeah. Well, that's great. I hope uh, I hope that proves to be, uh, you know, kind of valuable and easy throughout the, the winter months. Yeah. Um, I, I've been eyeballing a treadmill. Oh, really? Oh. I don't think I'm going to do it, though. Yeah. I don't know. I, can't, I have room yeah. now, and I like the idea of these ones that you can kind of walk on while you work. Like, oh. they have less of, like, a screen and the sure. rest of it, and you just... They have like, you know, you can control incline and speed and, and the simple yeah. stuff. And then you could have your laptop there. So if I was working or wanted to watch some YouTube videos, I could at least be walking while I do oh, it. That's a good idea. Yeah. So I started looking into a little bit of those, uh, but I uh, have, haven't really made a decision. They also make ones that like aren't even treadmills. They're like walking pads that you can put under a standing huh. desk and just walk against huh. them. Okay. Um, so you're, you're moving yeah. a bit, um, which could be good. I definitely don't want this winter to be as sedentary as last winter was for me. Yeah. Oh, sure. Because the few times that I did get out last year, I had an amazing time being out and moving around. But I could tell that I just, I was, it was just, I was the dullest yeah. I had been. Yeah. Um. And and the the rowing machine helps, but you have to you have to stay on top of that. Right. And and I haven't been with the with the current workload. So I, I'm that's the other side of taking the time off. I'm just really excited to like not think about work, not TGN necessarily, because we'll still we still got the Q and A, and then we're back only about you know a week later for. Uh, the next episode, but I, uh, I I am looking forward to just like unloading a certain amount of stress and focusing on like time with the family, sleeping correctly. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, the aura ring score really really puts it into sharp sharp contrast. Oh, just yeah. how poor uh, my sleep can be when I don't make it like a priority to go to bed at a certain time. Yeah, yeah. So l- learning my way through that, and I think we're at the point with the ring where it starts. It has like a, enough background data. It's been like I guess a month at this point, a little bit over. Right. I also like um, maybe do, when you use the rowing machine, do you take your ring, like whatever ring you wear, do you take it off? I don't No, but I know what you're getting at. I, it, it is a bit of a little like a weird sort of problem. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. still have it like a pretty solid callus from yes. where the ring is interacting right. with kind of the, I don't know, the meaty part of yeah. the yeah. underside of my knuckle. Yep. Yep. Um, but now that I've got, now that this is the fitness tracker, normally I would just taken off my wedding band when I was rowing, but now... I don't know. Maybe maybe just wear wear a garment or something. Right. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Anyways, we could not have derivated much further. You want to jump back into some watches? <laughs> yeah, we've got a ton to talk about today. But before that, we let's do, talk yeah. about what we ourselves are wearing today. Um, I've got I pulled one out of my box. You know, I, I wrote a Substack last week about kind of revisiting my collection, and mm-hmm. 
Um, Great story. One of the pieces I pulled out <clears throat> is my Bremont uh, Supermarine 2000, which is a watch I just just had not forgotten about, but just, you know, every time I'd see it, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, another time. But I've been wearing it, you know, several days straight now. And I did it on a NATO. Now I've got back on the original rubber. And it just reminds me how how good this watch is. You know, it's a big, heavy watch, but uh, I don't mind that. I've never been one to to mind a big, chunky dive watch. And and it's just, uh, it's just, you know, this is the first gen. I mean, this was from 2011, I believe, or 12. And it's it's still, to me, my kind of my favorite iteration of this watch. And um, I was on Bremont's website the other day, and it looks like, and I could be wrong, but it looks like it said that the S2000 is discontinued or out of stock or something. So, so maybe they're planning something new for... I know that they're kind of revamping the Supermarine line, but I guess it remains to be seen what what will become of the kind of the big deep diver, the the S two thousand. Yeah, and they are rethinking kind of that entire lineup uh, yeah. for Bremont. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of what is currently has been on the on the lineup and previous kind of go away or change fairly uh, substantially in the coming six months. Uh, so we'll have to see how that settles out. We're kind of seeing this this trend or newfound interest in smaller watches. And I think, you know, Bremont has such a strong uh, collection now with the Supermarine. They've got some great S500s and, of course, the S302, mm -hmm. the S300s. Um, maybe, I mean, this is a complete guess, but maybe the S2000 just is the least popular of that whole Supermarine lineup. And, and maybe they'll either abandon it altogether due to the size or, or, or do some things differently with it. Who knows? I'm, I'm Again, I'm completely uh, guessing on this, but... Um, that's kind of my anecdotal or, or sort of observation. You know, I was chatting with a buddy recently about the like kind of, and we've talked about it before on the show. It comes up in the Q and A's, like the disparity between the whole of the watch buying world mm -hmm. and enthusiasts. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the the there's a longstanding joke in the car in the, like the car journalism world that like if car journalists had their way, every car would be a brown wagon. Mm. Yeah, but yeah. there are no brown wagons. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like true. We, they yeah. they just canceled the the Porsche Panamera Sport Turismo, the wagon version of that. Yeah, discontinued for next year. They don't sell enough of them. Oh, my guess is the Taycan will follow. Yeah. Anyways, but yeah, we were just joking that like maybe the idea, like our, this current focus on thirty eight or thirty seven or something, isn't doesn't necessarily reflect what people are. Like people outside the world of watch enthusiasm are actually buying. Right. Bremont wouldn't, let alone something as big as the 2000, but they probably wouldn't continue pretty much focusing on 43 being their core. Yeah. If true. they weren't moving enough watches to make that work. Right. 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 Anyways, what do you speaking have of slightly smaller watches, yeah, right. I'm still wearing the Longines Spirit Zulu Time Limited Edition for Hodinkee. Beautiful. Uh, which I, I really like. Um, as it turns out, uh, the three folks, myself included, who were part of the campaign were gifted a watch. Uh, so I thought I had one on loan, and then another one showed up. So oh, man. Uh, nice. I've got one to, uh, to call my own. Uh, currently, I'm wearing it on... The 21 millimeter Tropic that would have come with one of the Deep Star chronographs. Oh, sure, yeah. And it's simply awesome. <laughs> I, I just, I'm, I'm super happy with the watch. I like the way, it, I really like the way it looks. It doesn't weigh anything. Um, it's a nice sort of like different option than the Pelagos 39. Mm -hmm. You know, same size, also very lightweight, but a totally different aesthetic. Yeah. And I think it's it's nice. I I haven't owned a Longines or had one for a, quite a long time, and I was pretty seriously eyeing the uh, Hydro Conquest GMT. Yeah. 
and I think this is obviously going to scratch for most part that that itch mm-hmm. and anything where it wouldn't I'd have the Pelagos but it gives me a nice option where I still get all the titanium stuff but I'm traveling and then uh, obviously being a Hodinky LE makes it a little sweeter for me as well yeah I mean <clears throat> Longine just makes such a high quality watch they've got such a deep lineup and and yeah that one that one really hits uh, or ticks a lot of boxes um, kind of in our world especially um, and now you know you've got that and you also have the the Mido LE for Hodinkee, which is also mm-hmm. a travel watch. Um, sure is. Any early, early, early thoughts on, I mean, there's such different pieces, right? Is it, is it the same movement? They're both part of the Swatch group. Is it the same movement? Yes and no. I would say the answer is yes and no. So this is an L844.4, hmm. but it has a 72 hours of power reserve. I think it's, it, I would say it's probably largely similar to the movement that's in the Mido. Yeah. And I think this is one of those ones where it comes down to one. There's a they're aesthetically very different watches, mm-hmm. especially the Mito. Really, genuinely feels like its own little thing from the Mito world that has that multi fort sort of chronograph look to it. Yeah. Between the two, I would say by the Mito, it's fourteen hundred dollars, not thirty eight hundred dollars. Sure. Yeah. Both of them are still available for for purchase if you're if you're in the market for a travel watch for kicking off twenty twenty four. If money is is part of the main concern, like if a budget is part of the main concern, just buy the Mito. I absolutely love it. Yeah. But it wears a little bit bigger and it wears quite a bit heavier. Mm. That would be the difference, right? Being 41 instead of 39. Sure. The Longines feels a little bit more specific, a little bit more uh, sort of luxurious. You mm-hmm. know, some of the dial elements I really like. It has this engraved ring or just in, just interior to the minute track that's on the Riot. Yeah. And if, if you take a, a like a close look at it, it, it disappears in most light, but it is a high polished ring that encircles a couple of millimeters into the dial. Basically, the same track that the hour marker, not the Arabic markers, but the hour pole markers land on. Yeah, there's little details that I, I really really do genuinely enjoy about it. But there is just a thing where you pay more for launchings than you do a Mito. Right, and that's the same case in this one. Yeah. I honestly don't know that either of them one's necessarily better than the other. If you want the launch needs enough to spend the extra money, I think you'll enjoy it. But the meat, the Mito's such a good watch. I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. The big difference here would be, I guess the, the main one would be the bracelet outside of aesthetics, similar right. movement, the rest of it, the, the launch jeans, you get a ti- a full titanium bracelet. It's grade five with the Mito. You get three straps, but the bracelet is uh, like a, a steel Milanese mesh. Oh, sure. But yeah, I think for the money, uh, it's the Mito. I feel like that's a really obvious call. Like this is still, <laughs> this is still the gray NATO. Right. Uh, watches that, that three, $4,000 are kind of at the upper end of what I buy. Mm-hmm. All right. You want to get into uh, our favorite watches of the year? Yeah, let's do it. Um, we've, <laughs> we've got a very extensive list and who knows if we'll even get to them all. I think it's you know, a big list. Yeah. And we've covered most of these in some respect on, on past episodes. So this will just be kind of a greatest hits. Yeah. I don't, we're not going to spend a huge amount of time on, on any one watch from the list and we may or may not get to all of these, but we wrote down everything that kind of we had a reaction to this year. Yeah. Jason, you want to kick it off right at the top? That's one from earlier this year. Yeah. Um, this is a pretty special one and, and it definitely blows the top on, on, <laughs> on the $5,000, uh, budget um this is a fourteen thousand three hundred dollar watch and it's the the seamaster plo prof 1200 so you know earlier in 2023 omega kind of made a big splash uh, so to speak pardon the pun with with a seamaster celebration i think they did an event in greece and um uh they kind of did some special stuff with the whole seamaster line from i think even from aquaterra all the way up to to plo prof and to 
the ultra deep. Um, and the one that I'm mm-hmm. calling out here is, is the Ploprof because, you know, they, they, it's, it's a watch you and I both love, um, the Ploprof oh, in yeah. general, vintage, modern, et cetera. Um, and, and they kind of went back to the original formula in terms of size. They made it the exact size of the, of the vintage one. So it's a little bit flatter, I guess that the case proportions look a little bit more like the vintage. And then they did something kind of special with the kind of that faded, uh, deep blue dial and, and bezel and, uh, Remains a watch that that is kind of on my my short list of, of grails. I just think uh, I think they've done such a great great job with this really strange quirky watch. So my question, I guess, would be with with your grail. Do you want this one, the the anniversary with the kind of four different blues or three different blues, mm-hmm. or do you want something like the titanium or that gray one with the orange? Or mm. what would be the move for you? I mean, I think titanium would be. I've really grown to really love titanium you know i've got the the pelagos yep. fxd this year and and titanium is just such a wonderful material especially in a big watch like this i haven't tried it but i think it would just be well i'm i, I take that back i, I remember trying a titanium ploprof a long time ago but like i think when a big watch like this i think titanium would would be pretty special but then again i haven't tried yeah. this one yet so who knows steel kind of harks yeah. back to to the original and is kind of the traditional material of the ploprof but um, I don't mind the blue. I do. I do quite like the blue on this. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And no date. I don't like the blue at all, really. Mm. Um, and it's something. It's something about like if the hands were a different color, I might feel different. Oh yeah, right. Um, but it's just it's a nice. lot of blue. Yeah. And, and there's I, I, it, there's just something about a ploprof with an or, a big orange minute hand. Yeah, true. That's true. Yeah. I feel like I need that. Yeah. That's part of my. That's part of my, what I would want my experience with a ploprof to be. Right. And I would be largely, I think, indifferent to steel or titanium. You're wearing a giant watch. Just wear it. <laughs> um, I think the titanium is probably the best and most wearable of the two. But if it was a black dial, black bezel, orange button, orange minute hand sort of ploprof, I'm in. Yeah. Uh, very much. Yeah. Such a cool watch. Yeah. Yeah. Also celebrating a whole thing this year came in three different acts. Yeah. Uh, how about some Blanc Pond before we uh, before we move too far down the list here? We had the Act One, which kind of resonated for me as one of probably one of my favorite watches of the year, mm-hmm. um, simply because of the sizing. Right. You know, we all we always say that you want smaller sort of uh, take on the on the fifty fathoms, and this one's forty two point three, which connects with the original model that that came out. And yeah, this, I mean, I think they made very few of these. I want to say it was like 70. Right. Yeah. And, or, uh, yeah, I think it was something like 70 and it was divided up to, uh, across a couple different, uh, categories. So I think these are deep collector sort of fodder, but I do really hope that they take this format and just make something loosely similar. That's standard. I would say it could even be smaller. Yeah. Um, but I guess we'll see what, what next year holds. Uh, but that was only Act 1 of, of 3. Yeah, and then, then we had Act 2, um, which was launched in uh, in f- February, actually. That was a, a trip that I was on over in Rangaroa in French Polynesia. And it was it, it's a neat watch. It's the Act 2, the, the 50 Fathoms Tech Gombesa, uh, which was a, is a very unique and, and specific watch that, that Blancpain developed with input from Laurent Belesta, the, the superstar marine biologist and underwater photographer that works with them. Um, and it's a watch that was developed for uh, closed circuit rebreather divers that, that need to measure longer intervals of time than just the hour that you get on a, on a standard diving watch. And so they, they kind of tweaked the movement uh, with a hand that'll, that'll run for three hours and a bezel that is marked to correspond to that. And it's, it, it's a big mm-hmm. piece 
Um, I got to, I got to dive with it, uh, with a, with a rebreather and, and wore it and it's titanium and it's got this amazing integrated rubber strap, very lightweight, uh, sits remarkably well on the wrist because it doesn't really have lugs. Look, we, we did our, our interview with, uh, with Mark Hayek. We've talked to Laurent Ballesta twice. Um, you know, not much more needs to be said about this watch or Blancpain in general this year, but, uh, it was, it was definitely a, a high point, uh, in the year for me. Um, being, you know, being able to try it out. Yeah. I just think a deeply cool watch that feels like something that could have been made in the seventies. Yeah. Like we approached a, a diver who's working literally on the cutting edge of the activity. You can't even call it a sport mm-hmm. when he does. Yeah. It's akin to climbing mountains without oxygen. Like it's the hardest part of diving. Yeah. And for them to go down and be like, Oh, well let's make you something and come out with this thing that, that literally is just a tool for tech diving right. is, is pretty cool. Yeah. And, and I think that makes it collectible for, to a very small group of people, which makes perfect sense for a limited edition. One quick clarification on act one, they made 210. Oh, okay. It was 74, the Americas, Europe and Asia Pacific. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's what it was. Just 210 total. Yeah. Um, and then there was an act three, you and I got to go to uh, Cannes. Right. And hang out and, and, and check out Act 3, which is kind of a recreation of the original 50 Fathoms, but in uh, bronze gold or gold bronze. I always get it wrong. <laughs> and, I, you know, I think we, we did a whole episode on that one. So how about we just leave that one to the show notes yeah. so we don't end up with like a two and a half hour long <laughs> final episode of the year. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I think Blancpain had an incredible year. Let's not even forget the Swatch collab. Oh, sure. Um, Which I think still continues to be essentially unbuyable, a huge success for the brand. Um, But yeah, great year for Blancpain, I think. Yeah. And, and, you know, moving on to another kind of behemoth brand uh, that had a particularly good year, I would say, and that is uh, Tag Heuer. Um, You know, we saw the we saw the glass box Carrera, which everybody, I, I think, unanimously loves that watch. I think it's incredible looking. I have yet to see one in person, but, um, you know, to, to, to oh, take a really good, to take an old design, you know, a, a classic, like the, the kind of classic that you just, you, you'd say, don't mess with it. And they messed with it. They tweaked it. They, they adjusted it to, for, for a very modern audience. And, and it just looks spectacular. And I think the glass box Carrera, and then, um, then they followed that up with, with the, the skipper version, um, which isn't my favorite skipper version. I think that still belongs to the, the Hodinky LE. Uh, that came out a few years back. Me too, yeah. And then and then there was that gold version, right? That was uh, kind of a tribute to a past piece of theirs. Uh, typically, I'm pretty uh, like um, hard on tag. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like a lot of what they make isn't meant f- enthusiasts. Yeah. And I feel with the glass box, it's like they said, no, you're wrong. We got this. Here it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll make a bunch of different versions. It's not going to be impossible to buy. It's such a good looking watch and mm-hmm. it fits it fits it like wears really well. It, you know, the numbers might suggest that it's kind of big, but so much of it is crystal. Yeah. On wrist, it wears like a smaller vintage sort of watch. Uh, I thought the skipper was really cool. I love the 1158 sort of inspired gold version. That's very rad in, in my world. Yeah. I think they did a great job with this and with stuff like the solar graph. Yeah. Which I, I guess specific. I can't remember if that was specifically 2022 or 2023. But shout out to Tag. I think they're they're doing well. They've got some really really good people on their team, and I think they're they're starting to understand that a, a brand as big as Tag, kind of like Omega, a brand as big as Tag, kind of has to play two different games. Mm-hmm. One for the mall, yeah, and one for the keyboard warrior who knows every dimension, right? Every price point, every other chronograph that they might get, and Lord knows that 
Rolex has had, and we'll get to this watch because they did it again this year. Rolex has had a really long time of essentially having the go-to luxury chronograph. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important for brands like Tag, for brands like Omega who do the Speedy, to consider that and find ways to give people really good alternatives, preferably at less money. Also, like I don't even know what the street price of a ceramic Daytona is currently. High is the word I would use. Yeah, Maybe not what it was two years ago, but still way over list price. Mm-hmm. So I'm just excited, even though I'm not necessarily a huge chronograph guy. Uh, I absolutely think these are these are great, great product and that these are going to hit home for a lot of people, especially if they just keep iterating upon the, the format in terms of colors and materials and that sort of thing. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, look, we've we've talked about some fairly spendy watches right off the bat here with the Ploprof, the Blanc Pons, the Tags. Um, let's let, let's shift gears a bit and move on to something definitely more affordable uh, with a couple of, of fun picks that we both enjoyed, and uh, one of them is the Laurier, uh, the Hydra, uh, the Hydra S3, uh, the Hydra Zulu S3 in particular, which is kind of the blacked out version with the rubber strap, lots of loom. Uh, we first saw this back in July at Windup. Uh, it goes for a whopping five hundred ninety nine dollars. Uh, you know, it's a, it's basically a dive GMT uh, with a with a, a flyer uh, Miyota movement in it. Um, this is just such a, a such an amazing watch. And uh, yeah, you know, I mean, hats off to Lori again. You know, I mean, we bring this brand up quite a bit, and and you know, it's always fun to to bump into them at Windup and whatever, and just see what their latest uh, creations are. And this, I think, this was a real highlight in watches in general this year. I think the design's very fresh and yet it harkens back to some of the the pieces that, you know, we know and love, kind of that that 70s action hero vibe that they're they're definitely hitting on with this. Oh yeah. So yeah, that was a real highlight. Yeah. I got to spend some time with the with the steel model. We did a story for Hoodinky. I can put that in the show notes of course. And then we saw the the more recent model come out since then. I, I just like value champion for a GMT under $1,000, nicely made, looks great, doesn't look like a Rolex or a GMT Master, which mm-hmm. I really appreciate. Yeah, And it was really tough for me because like Hodinkee just put up our budget watch of the year. I, I set the budget at 1500 bucks, which felt like tons <laughs> um, of money to spend. Uh, and, and I had a really tough time of deciding between the Laurier Hydra S3, which I absolutely adored, and the Marathon Navigator in steel, mm, which I, yeah. I think... Might be one of like aside from the Pelagos, probably the watch I wore most this year. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe it's because I had the Mito that I didn't go in on the Laurier Hydra. Like I didn't get one for myself or haven't yet. Mm-hmm. I I think that it, if I was scoring both of these watches, I'd give them both like a ten out of ten for what they offer. Yeah. Super high accuracy, ten seconds a year quartz movement. Yeah. Along with now the option of a no date, which really looks good. I adore the case. You know, it gives you that Benris Type One military but kind of more stealthy sort of feel tritium tube illumination good water resistance uh i i I couldn't be more of a fan for now you can get the no date for 770 bucks and and if you watch there's often sales i'm not saying you're going to save a hundred dollars but you'll save a bit yeah yeah um and i just think for the money it's a watch that could complement just about any collection Mm -hmm. you love vintage watches it's always nice to have a quartz watch that's dead on right you said all your watches buy it you want to watch that you can do literally anything with there it is you want to watch for knowing what time it is at night throw it on a nato and you've got the tritium (laughs) 
I, I just yeah. I really, really, really love this watch, and I really love the Laurie. I was so thrilled to have a little bit of time with the uh, the first version, and I think these two just stand out as as like if you've got if you want a great watch that was made and came out in twenty twenty three, um, and you'd like to spend a good a good chunk under a thousand dollars, it's hard for me to go suggesting much else. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, I have I have the Benris Type Two, the, the modern you know, kind of reissue of that, and and it's it's very close to kind of the Navigator formula. I mean, they kind of came out of the same background, but like the Navigator is very tempting for all the reasons you mentioned. And I think what I like about these watches that this kind of platform is, they feel like a watch that, you know, you you set aside baggage that it comes with with a brand name or you know prestige or anything like that, and it's it's just a watch you just wear, and you can wear for anything. You could travel the world with this watch. And like you said, I mean, it kind of does everything. It's it's highly accurate. Um, you can you can bang it up. You can get it wet. Twelve hour bezel. You can you can you can read it at night. You can yeah. It's got a second time zone. Um, yeah, that's a that's a winner. That's a real winner. And that's I hate to say it. That's a, that's a, <laughs> talk about being more prudent with our purchases. Uh, that that is a very tempting tempting one. Uh, if only for the price. I mean, just you know, you kind of can't go wrong with that. So good pick. There's at least one, unless it's old, but there's at least one for a really good price on the TGN Slack, oh the buy, sell, oh trade boy. Slack. Um, <laughs> there's been some, there's some incredible watches in there right now. Sometimes I go in and I just immediately leave. Yeah, but yeah. No, yeah. James. Yeah, yeah. Step away. Yeah. <laughs> Have some self control, you knucklehead. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, we've got a couple others on here that are again like value champions for the year for sure yeah but for me the two that really stand out are the the, the s3 hydra from laurier and the, the yeah. steel navigator which again now you can get no date so it's up to you if you want the date or not um right. I, the no date one looks so good and but i also really like the functionality of having a date especially wearing the pelagos 39 so much like a date almost feels like a treat now yeah yeah if i have it on a watch so yeah True. Um, all right. Where do we want to go next? You want to uh, speaking of Pelagos, you want to dip into a, another pretty good year for Tudor. Yeah, really good year for Tudor. I mean, we you know uh, we we we've had that wonderful trip in in September to to Florida with Tudor for the launch of the Black Dial FXD, which you know a lot of people I, I think were you know, disappointed in only that because it was uh, just just quote unquote a, di- a new dial color. But I think mm-hmm. th- this watch to me hits. Hits so much better than than the blue version, which was, was kind of the first version of the FXD that came out. And uh, I ended up with one, of course. I wear it a lot, um, and I think that was just it was just such a highlight for the year. Yeah, uh, in my own kind of watch journey, I guess the the Pelagos FXD. Uh, not only because of the, the memorable trip, but because you know, like we just talked about with the marathon, it's such a do anything watch. It's just yeah. it, it feels. It feels indestructible, uh, and made even more so by the fact that you know it doesn't even have spring bars that can fail. It's just a it's a chunk. It's just a one piece, you know, little unit that sits on your wrist with a strap running through it. And I, I just love that about it. The titanium's great. It's lightweight, you know, corrosion resistant, et cetera, et cetera. Great movement in it. Um, the, the bezel, you know, you and I were just talking or chatting over text a couple of nights ago because I had just discovered that little Easter egg, um, that is the detent on the bezel, uh, at 12 o'clock. So, you know, I, am not a particular stickler for aligning a bezel at the top of the hour on a watch. Like a lot of people are with dive watches, but I was spinning the bezel just kind of absentmindedly and it kind of kept catching at a certain point. I wasn't even looking at it. And then I glanced down and it was at 12 o'clock and I thought, wow. And then I quickly Googled it and found that, you know, several people had written, written about that, but 
what a cool little feature. I mean, they didn't have to engineer that into into the bezel. And it, nope, just they just didn't. one more little thing about it. Yeah, yeah, they didn't. It's super cool when yeah, you because you can turn it back. You can zero it like essentially without looking. You just end up hitting this yeah. point of resistance, and it's at it's at midnight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at twelve yeah. and. I think the other thing to keep in mind for the for the FXD is it, I like to think of like Tudor, fairly conventional watchmaking company. But if you think like a, a BB58 or a 41, maybe that's a one or a two mm-hmm. of convention. And let's yeah. say 10 is when you get to really wild. We get a PO1. Or maybe maybe you would score like the um, the Alinghi carbon uh, clad Pelago stuff like an eight. Yeah. And I think the, the blue FXD was like a strong eight as well unconventional bezel pinned directly with the uh, you know a french commando diving outfit <laughs> just not their normal vibe yeah, right yeah and a very very much still a tutor thing because of the pelagos's kind of precursors but like its own thing all on its own and then if you just think like the the p39 and the fxd are just fives they're right in the middle yeah the titanium makes them a little bit weirder. The sizing might make them a little bit more uncommon. And then the fixed lugs on the, the FXD really do it. But by taking that sort of unconventional platform of the blue one, going back to, you know, a 9401 colorway mm-hmm. with a conventional bezel, I, I just think they made kind of like they did with the 39. They just made, they made a very conventional watch that's just so appealing. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily like the most exciting watch that came out this year or the most interesting, mm-hmm. but it might be the mo- one of the most viable yeah. at, at its price point. Yeah. Man, Tudor, Tudor and Titanium, they're really doing it. It's so cool to see. We, and we've been harping on Pelagos nerdery for years. Mm-hmm. And at this point, like this is arguably like, uh, jo- this is jokingly, of course, a, a, some sort of a Pelagos fan podcast. Yeah. <laughs> You know, love love the product and everything, but it was a good year for them. Otherwise, they they had the Alinghi chronograph and and the time only model. I'd still very much like to see the the especially the chronograph in person. Hoping to do that um, early next year and spend some time with it. And then the the one again, it's it's so easy to forget what came out at Watches and Wonders. It feels like years ago, and it wasn't. It was months ago. And with the you know with the Tudor BB fifty four. Oh man, that watch. Um, yeah, it's funny because you know we were on that fxd trip in florida when you know for the launch of the fxd and i i was so smitten with uh christoph who was there from tudor he was wearing a black bay 54 and mm-hmm. he let me wear it around during one of the evening kind of dinners and i was like oh man that watch i mean it's a watch that i shouldn't i shouldn't like you know i mean because it's just a smaller size it's it's a bit kind of retro and kind of really feels a lot like an old rolex sub of which i have one um but man that watch is, it was so tempting and it was just, it's such a beauty. And I think, you know, had, had the Pelagos FXD not come around for me, um, I think I would have been sorely tempted to, to pick up a Black Bay 54. I think it's, it's such a versatile piece. They did such a good job with so many different elements of it. Yet another kind of feather in Tudor's uh, amazing cap for 2023, really a good year for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see what they do with P39, with BB54. Mm-hmm with maybe the pro the black bay pro for yeah. next year yeah. as they're ones that have been out for a couple of years but haven't gotten a second colorway i guess the bb54 is brand new so it may not get a color uh, like a blue one after just one year mm-hmm. um but beyond that let's dig into something a little bit more like indie maybe some aquastar had a pretty nice year as well between the the model 60 and the benthos h1 yeah they sure did yeah i mean uh, early in the year it was the the model 60 which um 
is it, you know, talk about a, like a black Bay 54. I think this is actually a good follow-up to that because the, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the Aquastar model 60 is, you know, a, a 37 millimeter little beautiful little kind of very simple dive watch harks back to Aquastar's very first piece that they made when they were still under the Jean Richard name, you know, affordable watch and, and one with, with some legitimate history to it. And we had that wonderful interview with uh, the now late great Don Walsh, the, one of the first men to the bottom of the Marianas Trench, the deepest point in the ocean, who was wearing an Aquastar Model 60 uh, inside the the Trieste when they went down. And um, I think it was just kind of interesting serendipity that that it was kind of a Don Walsh year, not only on TGN, but, you know, with his... Uh, with his death recently, um, that, that the model 60 came out this year and, and just a neat little piece. And then of course they followed that up, uh, just boy, just a couple of weeks ago with the Benthos H1, which yep. is a watch that which was highly anticipated. Yeah. One of the great mm-hmm. Aquastar models, uh, in history, you know, along with the deep star. I mean, Aquastar has such a, such a great history and, and Rick is just doing such an amazing job kind of reviving the brand and, and, teasing out or spooling out these watches, uh, one after another. And, and the H one is, is one that, you know, in person, it's just a, it's a lovely piece with, with a lot of attention to detail that, that really looks like the original and yet has these contemporary elements like 904 L steel and the, and the ceramic bezel insert and, um, and a, and a good movement. So yeah, good, good year for Aquastar. I can't wait to see what 2024 brings for them. Yeah, I agree. I'm excited for that. I think I think they had a solid year. It's also it's hard to have any sort of like a cadence of moments when you're so like a really small brand, mm-hmm. right? Like you put a watch out, it gets overwritten by 20 other stories or whatever. So it, it's interesting yeah. to to be able to look back on it and see that they had a pretty solid year. Uh, let's shout out a few ones more quickly. We we spoke a little bit when it came out, but you can now do the IWC. The Mojave is now in 41. I think that's an, a rad watch that I can't wait to see in person. Yeah. But talk about just a platform that for me, just make it a little smaller and right. then maybe make it a little smaller and then make it a little, like just <laughs> make it a wearable, put it right in the middle and let, and let people enjoy it. I think the Mojave colorway is rad. I think the, the, the sort of pilot chronograph thing is a really nice sort of um, alternative to something like a, a Daytona. Mm-hmm. And then we had the Rolex Le Mans Daytona as well, which we've talked about in the past. Uh, that's, you know, both impossible to buy probably by the time you're listening to this, ending its production. I would assume they're not going to continue when it's no longer the 100th year. I have oh, no uh, yeah. actual data on that. It just would seem not very Rolex for them to do that. Yeah. Um, but a cool watch nonetheless. And if you have no clue what we're talking about, I can put it in the show notes. Uh, but we definitely talked about that when it came out. What about the uh, Benris Ultra Deep? That's one you've spent quite some time with and I, I saw only briefly at, uh, at Windup. Yeah, again, um, a, a July release. I mean, it was a good summer for watches. Uh, and back in, in July at Windup, I participated in the Windup in a Lake dive uh, that was actually sponsored by Ben Roos. And we were out in Lake Michigan diving a shipwreck. And it's when they introduced this watch. And then it took a few months for them to kind of make final kind of QC changes to to the final product. And now it's available for a little over $1,000, 1095 another small watch. So here we go in kind of the, the same vein as the, the BB 54 or, um, the model 60. Um, this is a 36 millimeter twin crown, super compressor style dive watch with uh, beautiful sort of cathedral esque hands, very faithful to the original comes on kind of a, a Jubilee style bracelet with a NATO, um, just a, a fun piece. And, and, you know, we, we've talked about it when it came out and, I've certainly written about it and talked it up quite a bit, posted a lot of photos, so we don't need to go too far into that. But um, 
you know, Benrus, uh, another brand, another small brand that's punching above its weight and, and releasing some fun stuff. Yeah, and I think following that, I'd say uh, the Boulevard Oceanographer GMT is a standout for me this year. Yeah. Uh, I think they top out at about fifteen hundred bucks, hmm. uh, which is pretty impressive. I think they start at more like twelve ninety five for the loom dial, and hey, we're saying loom dial, so you know I'm in. <laughs> uh, but it's it's another watch that benefits from this nine zero seven five Miyota movement. On top of that, um, it's actually sitting here on my desk. I have to photograph it later today. Is the uh, Series Eight GMT from Citizen? Yeah, also a very impressive option under two grand. Uh, I think it's about seventeen hundred bucks for the Citizen. It's an integrated bracelet sort of mode. The uh, Oceanographer really follows the format of the of the watch. So if you're in the mode of a uh, the Devil Diver, the Snorkel, or even into the Doxa realm, this all will make sense from an aesthetic standpoint. But I think definitely worth worthy of a shout out for to both Citizen and Bulova. Uh, obviously, Citizen owns Bulova these days, and uh, and they're. Citizens had an incredible year across all these brands yeah. that are that are like part of their portfolio. The, the the one I wanted to bring up specifically for Citizen for this year is one that I believe we don't know a ton about because it's not in the American lineup or the North American lineup. Oh, so I had to read about it on um, on Monochrome, but we'll, I'll put this in the show notes in case you didn't see it. Um, it it's called the uh, Challenge Diver Automatic Collection. Hmm. Essentially, it's like Citizen decided that they would pick up the torch of offering a watch into the space that used to be where the SKX 007 was. Oh, yeah. So it's 300 euros. Wow. And it's a uh, a Citizen uh, automatic movement, 21 joules, 21,600 uh, vi- vibrations an hour, 45-hour power reserve. It's a 41-millimeter steel case that's available in black, green, gradient blue, or gradient orange to black which is kind of neat it's on rubber looks like uh, very much in the same kind of mode as the challenge the titanium challenge diver but maybe a little bit more retro in its appeal mm-hmm. big markers mercedes hands uh day and date which i know to people who love day and date it's like crucial yeah it's a, like a, a real thing and on the strap it's 270 euros and on the bracelet it's 300 euros I really hope that this is something they decide to bring here right. to North America to the North American market. Could be that it's not EcoDrive. We've seen that be a a holdup before, but but they've been more and more open to automatic movements. I just it's three hundred euros. Like that that means it could be about three hundred bucks. Yeah, uh, US, and I think at that price point, like we the world does need a watch that that could kind of slot into where the SKX 007 was and uh, w- one with a more modern citizen, you know, Miyota derived movement is, is not something to complain about. So this is one that, yes, it came out um, just at the end of November. Uh, so it is a 2023 watch, but it's one that my excitement will carry over directly into 2024. Yeah. And I think this is one, you know, th- th- if there was one kind of weird gripe about the challenge diver that we got, it was that it, it was, it felt so light that it almost, it almost felt like a toy. It was it was just such a lightweight piece in titanium. I think, having having not held this one, I, I'm guessing it might feel even better, e- even though it's not a, a gargantuan watch. Like in steel, it might just have a little more heft to it that I think this watch could actually benefit from. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's cool. Now you mentioned um, Seiko SKX, and one brand we haven't talked about is uh, is Seiko actually, and we have one on the list, which is the SPB 381 Prospects GMT, and that's a watch that you spent. A fair amount of time with and actually did a video of uh, in a week on the wrist for yep. Hudinki. Uh, and I had forgotten about this watch, but a, a pretty 
pretty good release for this year for Seiko. Yep, and I think if you want a dive GMT, um, so that means it has a 60-minute bezel and 24-hour markings on the Riot of the of the dial, I think this is still a great option. It's a collar GMT, so it's going to be more, I would say it's most useful for tracking another time zone from home, mm-hmm. which a lot of us do. I do all the time. It's very handy to have the ability to simply change that 24-hour hand rather than resetting the watch. On the inverse, it's absolutely less handy to travel with said watch. Mm -hmm. But as an everyday watch that has a second time zone or as a great vacation dive watch, that sort of thing, I think they they hit the nail on the head with this one. I think the the bezel action could be improved. That's kind of the only thing. I went back over my review just to freshen up. And I remember the the action being light, a little vague, um, versus kind of super clicky. Uh, but yeah, I, I liked it at about fifteen hundred bucks. I think they're pretty solid. I would probably lean towards the three eight three. I think it is. I could have them backwards, but the black one mm-hmm. versus the green one that I had in in the review. And other than that, Seiko has put this same movement in a handful of other watches. I just haven't had any hands on time with them. I'm sure that the other families that they've put the this GMT movement into have been nice. I know there's an Alpinist and and at least one other. Um, so yeah, I think as always, Seiko doesn't really have bad years. Yeah. All things concerned, um, I, I think they've got uh, a lot of challenge at the price point now where they want prospects, like call it 900 to $2,500. There's a lot of competition in that realm, but uh, I think it was good, and I, I was thrilled to see a, a dive GMT yeah. at, at a price point that's really nice because we talked about the Longines at, at the top, and we talked about the Mito as well, and those have good water resistance. Conceivably, sure, you could take them diving, but they're not dive watches mm-hmm. with their 24-hour bezels. I do like that you've got the uh, the dive GMT locked in there for a price point that's under an S302 that's under some of the other options by like a, a pretty wide margin. Yeah. All right, what's left? Our, our list is getting shorter here, and we've got some kind of outliers, some some high-end stuff here. Yeah, I got three super expensive shout-outs. <laughs> we can go through yeah, them quick. Go for it. The first one is the ceramic Royal Oak that looks like the original, the first Royal Oak. Yeah. That one's super cool. I think they're like $70,000, something like that, maybe more. I actually don't remember the price from when I was there. That was at the start of the year. I was in um, Le Bersu with AP and, and got to see that. It's just such a cool watch. Not something that I'm saying that we should all try and endeavor to go out and buy, but a really neat thing to experience. Um, very much in the same vein for me is also the Longa Odysseus chronograph, probably the coolest quote unquote sports watch I saw this year. Hmm. Like just crazy high end, super Longa. I'll never probably ever see another one or outside of a Longa meeting or possibly uh, you know, maybe someone I work for has got one, something like that. But other than that, just a, a really, really, really cool thing. One of my highlights of Watches and Wonders, so I didn't necessarily want it to go by. And then maybe the sleepiest watch of the whole year, one that's been in my mind, but I don't even think we spoke about when it came out because there's so many other things coming out. I've, I've Over the year, I've I've really come to, to enjoy the Alpine Eagle collection from Chopar. Huh. I, I really love the smaller double gray so i think 37 millimeters no date gray dial in the lucent steel yeah but the one i'm actually talking about today i don't even know the price of we wrote up a story <laughs> when it came out in march it is the alpine eagle cadence 8 hf it's a grade 5 titanium version of the alpine eagle in 41 millimeter it's a little under 10 millimeters thick and it has a, a black dial. It's 100 meters of water resistance. And then it has this Chopard 01.12-C movement, 
which has 60 hours of power reserve, is automatic, and it ticks at 57,600 vibrations an hour. So 8 hertz. Yeah. Wow. It's so cool. I just think it's like the sportiest sort of it's, you know, a red, a black dial with like orangey red accents. I, I think this is a neat watch. It's it's one that I'm including in uh, in a roundup for uh, for Hodinkee of, of some, kind of some some outlier watches from the year. And it, it's just been on my mind for a while. The XPS got a lot of shine. Obviously, the the return of the 1860 LUC also got a lot of attention. And, and I've seen that watch in person recently and goodness sakes is it gorgeous but for a, a genuinely sporty uh alpine eagle with a with the titanium thing and the, the high beat movement that's i think it's pretty fun yeah and i think chopard is one of those brands that you know we never talk about for several reasons but i, I think also it's um yeah it's still a bit of a sleeper for a lot of people i think it, its name doesn't come up as often as you you know you get the langas and the paddocks and the sure some of the others ap's but um yeah, this uh, this family, the the Alpine Eagle, has has done really well for them, and this one is, yeah, it's probably the only one. Now that you mention it, I didn't even look at this one. Um, it's it's kind of the only one that makes me sit up and take notice, and I think because of those little flashes of color, the titanium that they use, um, yeah, yeah, really cool pick. I think you know, two, three, four years ago, when suddenly several brands decided to have, we'll call them Genta esque like integrated bracelet steel sport watches. Mm-hmm. When everybody decided they needed one of those, I think we all kind of looked at the lineup of what was in the market and said, well, who's actually going to make a dent in the uh, Nautilus, Royal Oak sort of scene? Yeah. And I think Chopard's weirdly done it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, they've always been kind of an insider's brand. They make an incredible watch. The LUC stuff is is world class. Um, But I think they've always kind of like you said, like it, it is a big shadow cast by a Patek. Right or an AP, or a Vacheron. And I think that they're showing that like they had a perspective on this. They had an IP to pull on in the Alp- Alpine Eagle. And sure, it's not the the normal price. Like I think uh, I think the the 37 mil I spoke about earlier is probably like a $12,000 watch. Yeah. So you know your boy's not like, I'm not just trying to decide which credit card to put it on. <laughs> but I do really like them. And when I see them and I get to put them on my wrist, the 41 wears really well. The 37 is a knockout on my wrist. And they feel really special and really luxurious and really fancy and everything that you'd want, I presume, if you spent that much on a watch. So I guess that's why I wanted to bring it up. But a super high high beat titanium one, it fits the vibe of 2023. It's a big year for titanium. Yeah, yeah, true enough, yeah. Uh, probably my favorite version of the Oris 400, the PPX 400 yet, is the laser. It's really something else in person. It, it mostly shows in photos, so to be fair. A good photo does capture it. Yeah. But the, the combination of the stealth fighter-y sort of vibe of the case and, and bracelet yeah. with this truly wild <laughs> dial, which in my mind, almost, you know the way that like oil looks on top of water? Yes. Yeah. It's like that, but then remove any obstruction so you just get the color. Right. It's really something else. Uh, there's no. They, I think we said this on just a re, or I said this on a recent episode. This watch has no real like competition. Like right. there's other watches at that price point that you could spend your money on, sure. But there's none where you'd like put this watch next to it and go like, oh yeah, these are direct competition of the same ethos, the same design, the same yeah. plan and thought and the rest of it. They've just got something interesting on their hands, and I think putting a wild dial in such an otherwise sort of stealthy watch is a really Mm -hmm. neat way of going about it 
Well, and, and it's, <clears throat> Oris is a very interesting brand because it, this watch is, it feels like such an outlier from, for their, from their typical kind of design language and, and ethos and history. I mean, I think you, you, you get this and then you get like a, a big crown pointer date something and it's like, or a, or a diver 65. And then you get this, which is so stark, so Teutonic. It feels more like, uh, you know, something you'd get from IWC back in the day or, or not even, I mean, this is, it's just so modern and so angular and so minimalist. There's, I, I, and I say this without criticism. Um, it feels like there's kind of a lack of warmth to this watch. It just feels very technical, which is, it's kind of a new, newer development for Oris. And I think they're really playing up the, you know, the caliber 400 and <clears throat> kind of that push into that space. And, and this one really, really highlights that, especially with that wild dial. That thing is just crazy. And I think it's hard to come back after the Kermit. Right. I think they knew they had a hit on their hands in the current, but I don't think they knew how much of a hit. Mm-hmm. You know, we also saw, like I mentioned it, and I don't want to lose the chance, but we also saw the the Hydra Conquest GMT from Longines. I think that's another, like, right down the middle product that could apply to a ton of people. It's the right size, has a great movement, yeah. looks pretty good, better than I think. I'm not, Like, I think we've been, you and I have been honest to our feelings, but kind of negative towards the Hydra Conquest in the past mm-hmm. as being a little bit bland. Right. And I think these address that kind of in the same way that we we kind of praised tag hoyer for figuring out the glass box i think the Longines has really figured out what uh the non-mall crowd wants from their right from their you know from the spirit and from the hydro conquest and that's worth shouting out yeah and then the other two that i had on the list here i guess these are both mine uh the first would be the uh the ming lw.01 so this is an 8.8 gram manual move like <laughs> it's just like a, the, the manually wanted ones weighs less than 10 grams the automatic weighs 10.8 yeah you know the uh, that's that's a tenth one the whole watch weighs one tenth what the fully sized and weighed out version of the longines that i've got on my wrist <laughs> with a bracelet incredible it's just remarkable sure this is a twenty thousand dollar watch but like this is another brand where like anything ming puts out i'm gonna pay attention because they're just only doing what they want to do yeah they're not playing by other people's playbook or rules. It's a little bit difficult to buy their stuff, um, but they are on that short list that I have in my mind of a brand I would love to own one day. Yeah, I think for Ming, for me, it would be more of a dress watch, but that's where I think I would get the value out of it. Mm-hmm. The dive watch is really cool, but they're hard to come by Yeah, and quite expensive. But I think a dressier one would be really fun to have sometime in the future. So I've, I have started paying like a more specific attention to them. And just for a tiny brand to come out with something that is... You know, a record breaker right. is just so cool. Yeah, yeah. It's also a really neat looking watch. Yeah, I mean, it's harder and harder to, to kind of be an individual and stand out. And I think what Ming has done is kind of just put their heads down and, and you know, put his head down, so to speak, and blinders on and just like pursue a vision uh, and kind of ignore naysayers and commenters and just be like, we're going to keep making cool stuff. And and now they're they're really like people are sitting up and taking notice. And you know, to case in point, I mean, I, I don't think the, the name Ming has popped up ever in six years of TGN. So maybe just the dive watch. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, but yeah, it's definitely gotten our notice. Really, really, really cool stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, I, th- I think it's worth a, a shout out. Like we saw continued sort of line extensions or, in, or like refinement from brands like Serica. Yeah. And, uh, and then the other one that I really liked this year, but I didn't really know how much I liked it until I got a chance to borrow it is uh, another Hodinki LE, and it's that uh, Unimatic Modelo Uno U1S Carbon yeah. GMT. Yeah. And that one, you know, it's it's 
expensive for a unimatic, but it's inexpensive for a carbon cased watch. Mm -hmm. It's $2,900. 41.5. And I think it had been more than two generations of the U1 since I had had one on my wrist. Yeah. And they've refined the case. It's still 41 millimeters or 41.5 wide, but they've refined the way that it sits, mm -hmm. whether it's a lug shape or, or a lug um, kind of trajectory consideration or something like that. But I, I've just been really, really happy wearing this around. The carbon looks incredible. Uh, it has a brightness to it that uh, isn't necessarily the same in other carbon watches I've bored in the past. And I mean, if you compare it to a Doxa, I think the Doxa is forty eight hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I liked both of those, and uh, and I've still I'm still borrowing from the office the uh, U1S Carbon, and and have enjoyed wearing it. I, I think it's another one that kind of stood out for me. Uh, I think I had maybe hit a certain level of fatigue with Unimatic. Yeah, you know, there's a new new version every couple months, new LE with somebody Hodinky or otherwise every now and then. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to keep up on what's the difference between a U1 and a U4 and this bezel and that bezel and right. this one and that. And and then I got a chance to, to actually spend some time and travel a bit with this and just really, really enjoyed it. It's a fun watch. Another one that kind of stuck out for me. Yeah. And it's a brand that, you know, we've, we've been around long enough now um, that, you know, we've seen several of these brands that, that have appeared in this list today. Um, we've, we've, it's been fun to watch kind of the, the evolution of some of these brands, you know, Aquastar, Unimatic, oh, totally. Laurier, et cetera. And, uh, yeah, Unimatic's definitely a big one in that, in that space. So, well, I think that, that takes care of our list. What, uh, what do we have here? I mean, it's a couple of dozen. I mean, it was a, it was a solid year. I mean, what a, it was a big year for watches. Yeah. I, I would say the, the other thing to keep clear is that you and I are not saying that this list was exhaustive. This was everything we could think of over the last two or three days. Yeah. Um, that really stood out to us. And I, I would say, if there's something we missed or or something we slept on, that's that's something great to start a thread on the Slack and we can get into it and uh, and keep those all in our mind and that kind of thing. But yeah, these are the ones that uh, at least yeah, over the last 72 hours really stuck out in my mind as as kind of watches or great moments from, from 2023 and watches that kind of captured the vibe of this year as well, which for me, uh, I think is increasingly is titanium. Um but definitely the list isn't exhaustive. Let us know in the comments. Let us know on Slack, uh, that sort of thing. And hey, if you're if you're listening and you're on the supporter side and there's uh, something we missed and you want to ask us, you can always record it into a voice memo app on your phone. Send it to thegraynado at gmail.com and we'll get to it in a future Q&A. Happy to weigh in on uh, on a watch that we might have forgotten. But at this point, if we've forgotten it, I, I don't know yet. So yeah. let me know uh, one way or another. I, I think that's a, it's always a fun episode to look back on the year. And I think... I don't know that I, that in our time of doing the show that there's been like necessarily a quote unquote bad year for watches. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, watches largely survived the the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, the watches that we like did. But this feels like a pretty strong year for product. Yeah, definitely a high high watermark. I think at least in the past uh, decade, I would say of, of writing about watches and, and talking about watches. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, from five hundred bucks to I don't know sixty, seventy, eighty thousand, probably yeah. on this list, <laughs> something yeah. crazy like that. Yeah, but you've got your you've got room to spend money or not, in, in in almost any way you want. And I think the besides titanium, the other trend that kind of stands out for me is a, a continued push for uh, more value driven GMT options, mm -hmm. like we talked about the Laurier, the Mito, the Unimatic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these ones that cost significantly less than even a BB GMT, which previously would have been your entry point mm -hmm. to a certain type of GMT to a flyer. Yeah. And I think that world's just been turned upside down. 
by Bolivar, by Citizen, largely with the 9075, um, and, and Miota uh, there as well. So, yeah, I think that those are the, kind of the two major, like, kind of macro things that I saw in our world were titanium and more GMTs. And, like, if you'd asked me what I wanted at the end of 2022. Yeah, right. <laughs> True. Yeah. And and a, and kind of a continued push uh, into smaller watches, too. I mean, we've got the yeah. Black Bay 54 from a big brand like Tudor. You've got the Benrus Ultra Deep at 36 millimeters, the Model 60 Aquastar, you know, a couple Citizens, uh, Longines at 39. And, yeah. Yeah, we're not uh, we're not necessarily um, you know focusing on on specific trends or making predictions, but um, yeah, if you had to point out commonalities, I think those are the ones. All right, well, nice long episode. You want to jump into some final notes? Sure. Yeah, uh, I'll go first. This is a story that has been making the rounds. Uh, I shared it with you. I've seen it pop up a few times on Slack. People have sent it to me on Instagram, etc. And it's uh, it's from the New York Times and a, a writer who I respect greatly, uh, John Branch, who is the, the times is, um, I guess he kind of covers mountaineering specifically and kind of adventure sports. He's written a book called side country, which has gotten a lot of acclaim. Yeah. Uh, the article is called ghosts on the glacier and it's about a kind of a mountaineering mystery that I wasn't aware of, um, uh, that took place back in the, the 1970s in South America and Aconcagua, uh, the highest mountain in the Western hemisphere. And a group of amateur mountaineers, a- amateur but avid mountaineers uh, from the U.S. that that went down to to climb the peak, and uh, in the end, four went up to the to the summit on the final push, and only two came back. And you know, there were there were mysteries that kind of swirled around what caused the their deaths, and and there were you know complications with body recoveries, and then autopsies, and things like that, and and. I mean, that just scratches the surface. That's kind of the, the the short version, but this is a long article. In fact, I read it and then I wanted to kind of tell Gashani about it. And I realized there was a link for like, listen to this article and you can actually click on that. You get John Branch reading the article and it takes over an hour for him to read it aloud. And then if you actually look at the article, there are videos and graphics and kind of, very, it's a very dynamic piece in, in a way that only, you know, kind of top, journalistic out, uh, outlets can, can produce and just a really, really impressive piece. And yeah, you know, very much in kind of the TGN space, you've, you've got an old camera that was discovered that was kicked out, uh, by a melting glacier, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of the genesis of how the story started to take shape was the discovery of this camera with some undeveloped film. Yeah, just a just a tremendous uh, piece of journalism. Great, great story. I found this jaw dropping from the presentation. I mean, this is ex- exactly like you said. This is everything you want from top tier. Yeah, uh, journalism. This story took more than three years of work to report. Yeah, and the photos are amazing. The writing is impeccable. The storytelling is is so good. There's a watch reference in there. There's camera. That's got everything. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. One of the best yeah. stories I read this year, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, it, 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 if you need an excuse to pay for whatever a month, whatever you can get the trial for New York Times, this is the one to do it. Yeah. If true. you're not already on there, because you sent me a gift link. Yeah. I uh, I let my my Apple News subscription lapse, uh, so I I haven't had uh, New York Times, but you sent me a gift one, and and I've read it twice now, and it's it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can also go back and just read John Branch's. Uh, he's had a couple of other really good ones lately about a. Uh, a couple of mountaineers that that pulled off a, a climb of Janu over in the Himalayas that even Conrad Anker mm-hmm. is saying is is the most significant alpine climb in history, which is saying something. 
So check that one out too while you're on the on the times and reading John Branch. So I'll put both in the show notes. Thank you. and yeah, and, and uh, Jason, thank you for sending that to me. That was a nice way uh, to. I guess it was Sunday morning. I, I got into that, yeah. and it was a ni- nice way to get into it for sure. All right, what do you have? Yeah, mine's actually uh, uh, it's a flashlight. <laughs> well, this is like gift guide uh, material. This this could have been last week. Yeah, too. <laughs> I yeah, and I I slept on it, or sorry, I didn't have it in last week. I had ordered it from oh, Amazon. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have it in, but a uh, little bit of a backstory. When I was in Dubai, I met a buddy of uh, Cole Pennington's. Mm-hmm. His name is David Jumpa. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, David uh, helped out with uh, watches in the wild uh, in Thailand. And he's an, an incredible watch photographer. Um, I will find his Instagram and put it in the show notes. So check him out. But he had with him, just looks like a conventional, like, you know, th- you can buy pretty tactical looking flashlights on Amazon or otherwise for nothing these days. Yeah. But it's a, a UV flashlight and it's the only one where he, sh- he shined it on my Explorer two where the loom isn't that good. And it mm-hmm. was so crazy bright. I said, <laughs> Oh man, is that like wildly expensive? I, Cause I need one. And he's like, no, they cost nothing. Wow. And turns out he was right. They are on AliExpress for $9 for one of these. And it's a, uh, it's, you know, it's, um, it's a larger sized flashlight, but you could still probably get it into your pocket. It has one button, turns it on. It's UV, charges your loom. If you're like me and you like to do loom photos, or you just like to, I've had it on my bedside table. And when I go to bed at night, I just hit my watch for two seconds. Yeah, and go to bed, and it glows all night, and that's been great. And for nine dollars, including the battery, I'm not even sure how they make it for that much. I paid um, eighteen dollars Canadian from Amazon. Hmm. But if you don't mind the weight from AliExpress, yeah. $9 feels like a, a, a good buy. Yeah. And, you know, these are good. Maybe you're into vintage watches and you like checking the loom or or you just want to charge up a loom for a cool wrist shot. Uh, at $9, I don't, you know, if it makes my loom shots 50% easier than fully charging a flash to one-to-one power and then firing it against the having to close my eyes and the rest of it, I'm, I'm pretty thrilled by this. So a big shout out to uh, David for telling me this. It is called an Alone Fire SV38. Wow. Alone Fire is one word. And SV38 is uh, all together as well. UV Very torch, cool. really simple. USB-C charging, comes with a rechargeable battery. No complaints, no notes. Really like it. Yeah. And <laughs> and they don't even mention for uh, for torching up watch loom. They, they, they actually market it as uh, a flashlight for pet dog and cat urine detection. So, you know, oh, multiple sure. use. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Just in case you need that as well. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. That's something where if I can't see it, I'm, I'm going to stick with not seeing it. It's probably my preference. Uh, right, and I, right. I have neither a cat nor a dog. So. Yeah, yeah. That's mine for this week. We have one final. Anyone who's been listening to the show for the last several years can probably predict. But uh, Jason, why don't you take it away with your annual uh, recommendation? Yeah, this is um, this is one of our favorites. I listen to it uh, multiple times every holiday season. Um, it is from uh, the Canadian Broadcast. It is from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the CBC, um, and it is their late great newsreader, announcer, uh, Fireside Al Maitland reading Frederick Forsyth's The Shepherd. Uh, The Shepherd's just a a great uh, kind of short story written by Forsyth, kind of based on some of his experiences flying for the RAF uh, back during the Cold War, and um, and it it, it rolls in some, some... holiday warmth with a bit of a ghost story. Um, there, there's, you know, some piloty stuff. It's, it's in a, a, a vampire fighter, fighter jet, uh, over the North sea back in the, uh, the 1960s. And 
uh, you know, I won't say any more about it. You just have to listen to it. And, and his reading is, is terrific. The production's great. It's a, it's an old recording and the CBC plays it every Christmas Eve. If you want to try to catch that live, but we're going to throw a link in the show notes. You can listen to it. Um, and just a note here, um, many people have made me aware <laughs> of the fact that there is now a movie version coming out about this or mm-hmm. based on this produced by and, and featuring John Travolta in one of the, the smaller roles in this, uh, in this story. I'm a little dubious about the film version. I've seen the trailer. Uh, I probably will see it, but for my money, um, I, I think the, the audio version with Al Maitland reading it is still the way to go. And, uh, so we're going to put that in the show notes as we always do during our last episode of the year. And, uh, it just makes for a, a kind of a, a nice little, uh, holiday tradition in our house to, to kind of put this on, on Bluetooth and listen to it on a speaker and just, you know, sip something and, and listen to it uh, by a fire or something. So yeah, the shepherd by Frederick Forsyth read by fireside Al Maitland. It's a good one. And yeah, did we get a lot of messages about there being a movie? We must be like for for for, for the shepherd, for Alone in the Wilderness, and for Titanium Pelagos, yeah. like this is the fan cast, right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's great. Yeah. Thank you to everybody who sent in that uh, that email. I eventually stopped responding. Um, I don't I don't know about you. You said you watch trailers. I don't watch trailers because they ruin movies. Yeah. Um, I just looked at kind of who is involved and I was like, oh, I'll check it out when it comes out. But uh, yeah, it's, it is kind of one of those things where I'm like, well, what are they going to do? They're going to make it better than the one we got. Right. Yeah. Might be fun. I'll give yeah. it a try. Yeah, definitely. So man, that's 2023. Yeah. From me to you, Jason, thank you so much for another year of the show. Uh, I absolutely love this. It is my favorite creative outlet. It is my favorite community in the watch space. I, I just love it so much. And I appreciate everything that's come this year. We've grown, which I didn't necessarily, necessarily expect. Uh, we got a chance to speak with some truly outstanding guests right yeah um it, it was it was a really really good year and i wanted to thank you and then of course thank thank the whole audience thank you thank the supporter crew first and foremost you know uh shareholders as we like to say right but yeah it's it's been a great year couldn't be more thankful for um for having tj in my life and that it's persisted and and i don't take it for granted yeah definitely you know we talked about being a high watermark for watches this year i mean equally so for tgn it's been truly I would say without a doubt, our best year yet. Um, and so much of that is, is down to our supporters and, and just our community. Just, uh, they remain Absolutely. such a bedrock of, of kindness and support and loyalty and helpfulness. And, um, so much has come out of it, uh, well beyond yeah. our talking to each other once a week here. So yeah, thanks. Thanks to you, James, for all your hard work on the production side and, and for, you know, every week uh, having our enlightening and sometimes funny chats and, uh, and also to our audience. So great, great year. And uh, we do wish everyone very happy holidays and, uh, and we'll catch you again first week of 2024. Yeah, we'll be back January 4th. If you're on the supporter side, you can expect another Q and a just before Christmas. I'll get that out to, uh, to, to total us out, but otherwise we will chat to you next year. Looking forward to it. Probably don't have to say the whole outro, but hey, I can't leave it out. Music throughout a siesta by Jazzar via the free music archive. And we leave you with this quote from Mark Twain, who said, Keep away from people who try to belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that, but the really great make you feel that you, too, can become great. <laughs>